So we had a, an Italian lady staying with us for the last week, and uh, she is very Italian. She's from Naples, so she loves all things Italian and food, and uh, was a bit maybe surprised, if not shocked, on occasion with what the kind of atrocious things that we do to pastas uh, and stuff. So she was, you know, trying to educate us in the way of gastronomy and uh, teach us how best to, to cook and prepare pasta and all these kind of things. But it reminded me of a number of situations while I was uh, living in Italy uh, where, again, they take food very, very seriously. Uh, it's a constant topic of conversation, uh, which I find brain-numbing. Um, but they, they could just talk forever about pasta, which I think it doesn't matter what shape it is. It all tastes the same. No, 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 no. The shape completely changes the taste. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Whatever. So, um, but I remember in, in, in numerous families or numerous situations, seeing how, how uh, children, teenagers, maybe up even in, into their 20s, uh, at the dinner table could be so picky about their food that it really was very, very disrespectful. To, to the parents, right? Because, um, again, because they have such kind of high standards for food, you know, the, 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 the pasta would come out and um, you'd see this 15-year-old like, being treated like an absolute king, right? And he kind of rolled his little spaghetti and he put it in, he'd go, nah, nah, <laughs> no, not nice. Bring it back. Do you know, and I'm like, you cheeky little pup. Um, like... Just, I mean, or I've seen families where with three or four children, mom has had to prepare three or four different meals because, eh, I just don't like le polpette. I just don't like them. I don't, what do you mean you don't like them? What's wrong with them? What's wrong with you? <laughs> You're not hungry, right? <laughs> if it's not good enough for you, there's the door. <laughs> like, but I, I've, seen, I've seen mom, and they'll do, moms then being Italian moms will do that. They will, they will prepare three, like, imagine preparing one portion of lasagna and gnocchi. And spaghetti alla bolognese. I mean, are you mad? Jeepers, lads. Anyway, but like, but like, and then you see, what, what I find interesting or saddening about this is that all this work would be done to prepare all of this for the kids and they'll still be completely ungrateful. So it's not like all this is, all this is done for them and then they go like, oh, mama, you are, you are the best mama. You are the best little mama ever. No. They'll be like, eh, 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 it's, it's only to be expected. Like, I, 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 cannot, I cannot eat this other inferior lasagna so even after all this goodness and love and time there still can be so little gratitude now don't get me wrong i think we do similar things here in ireland as well we can be uh you see teens who benefit from their parents constant taxi service as they go to swimming and hurling and training and running and diving and karate and music and over to the friend's house and pick me up from the shopping center because i don't want to walk the full 500 meters sometimes it's just hard life is hard you know uh, so parents constantly in and out and in and out and in and out. And, and again, all of this done for them. And the reaction can be, eh, well, that's, that's just what they're supposed to Well, we wouldn't say eh. Uh, the reaction can be, well, that's just what parents are supposed to do, isn't it? That's their job. Ferry me around. Pay my bills. Make sure I'm happy. Today's gospel is the gospel of the prodigal son. I just want to hone in on two details. We know the story and I haven't time uh, to go through the whole thing, but there's just two, two things I want to hone in on. The younger son said to the father, Father, let me have the share of the estate that would come to me. So the father divided the property between them. The younger son says to the father, Father, let me have 
my inheritance now. Let me have now what would come to me when you die. If you die, if you die tomorrow, that would actually kind of resolve the whole issue because then I'd, I'd, I'd get it immediately. So that, that would be great. But since you have to be alive, um, can we speed up the whole process? Can you just give me the money now? Like this is grossly disrespectful. And the Jews would have known that. As Jesus was telling the story, like, I mean, maybe we're not at our age or in our culture, maybe not so aware of inheritance and all this kind of thing. But, like, to the Jews that Jesus was speaking to, this would have been, like, shockingly disrespectful. Even when we think about it today, it's still, I mean, even, yeah, if I were to say to my own parents at home, you know, like the inheritance or the land out the back, I'm not sure how much of that I'm getting. Can I get that now? I mean, it's pretty offensive. It's pretty, it's pretty cruel, actually. So, Somewhat surprisingly, the father gives it to him. I, I don't know if I would have, uh, but the father does. He gives it to him. So this cheeky, probably lazy, um, self-seeking, pleasure-seeking whippersnapper of a young pup tells his dad he'd like him dead. And the father gives him what he wants. And then the son goes and just wastes the whole lot. Wastes the whole, so, I mean, it's probably a, size, a sizable sum. And he wastes it on nothing. So just on, on pleasure. Like, he has nothing to show for it. Nothing at all. Ends up actually hungry. Not only, like, like has he not got, you know, not only has he not kind of doubled the, the, the inheritance or doubled the wealth, he ends up with not enough to eat and not even a roof over his head. Then the other son, when... I'm, I'm skipping forward, obviously. When the other son hears the celebrations from when the, the, the prodigal son returns, he too is upset. And upset with the father. Look, all these years I have slaved for you and never once disobeyed your orders, yet you never offered me so much as a kid for me to celebrate with my friends. He doesn't know the heart of the father. This son thought that slaving for the father was what the father wanted. Never disobeying his orders was what he wanted. And then somehow doesn't feel that the father has taken care of this son's needs. But what did the father actually want from him? What did the father want from both of them? I mean, look at the reaction of the father to, to, to the, the younger son when he returns. Like rather than, and I guess it would have been very, very Irish. If, this, if, this had, if Jesus had been Irish, which would have been a great idea, I think. Um, but Jesus had been Irish and had told this story in Irish culture. Uh, when the father would ha- have the son back, and the, you know, the son starts his whole spiel of, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. The father would have jumped in and said, Excuse me now. Got your comeuppance now, didn't you? Hmm? Now, look at you. Look at, look at you, you little... Do you know, that would have been an Irish dad or an Irish mom. Right? But that's not what happens here. The father welcomes him back, cuts him off before he can even finish his little spiel. Cuts him off and welcomes him with almost like a a royal welcome. Ring in his finger, sandals on his feet, cloak on his back, kill the fatted calf. This son does not deserve that. He does not deserve that kind of love. But this son did not know the father's heart. And sadly, neither did the other son. Neither of them, neither of them knew the heart of their father. The, the ungrateful one who wastes his property thought that the father was a pushover, 
basically wishes him dead, wastes his property. The other son is slaving for him, but there's no, there's no love in what he says. He says, I mean, I, I, I've slaved for you. I, I've never disobeyed your orders. Yeah, but that's not what I asked. That's not what I wanted. And even the, the father then is trying to, to, to kind of win the heart of the, the, the other son as well. My son, you are with me always, and all I have is yours. All I have is yours. It's, it, you, you own this. You don't have to slave for me. And it's not about just not disobeying my orders. I give you every. I give you everything. It's not, not that I didn't give you a, a, a kid or a, a goat to celebrate with your, with your friends. All that you see here is yours. It's all yours. Like this is the see the, like the, the generosity at the heart of the father here. Like it's just, it's phenomenal and it's so undeserved. Neither son deserves it, but they get it. Neither son deserves this kind of love or mercy, but they're getting it. It's just a free gift. Fast forward on to, to like our reality. God is father and God is love and he, he, just, he can't be otherwise. He can't not be love. So he sees us and we don't deserve the love that he gives us. We don't. We can't earn it. We can't. And we can be... We can be maybe even disrespectful. Maybe we can be kind of annoyed at the father, like the, 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 the younger son here, who kind of doesn't want the father interfering in his life. Just look, kind of, I want to take my money. It's not that I want to take my money and move next door. I want to take my money and go to a different country. I don't want you in my life at all. I don't want you interfering with my plans. What's he so afraid of? What does he think the father is going to do? The father has shown him nothing but love and compassion, and understanding, and mercy. Why run from that father? Why be afraid of that father? Why not trust that father? And it's, it's, it's logical, it's reasonable that we would kind of probe a little before we trust someone to see, are they trustworthy? I mean, this is normal. I mean, it's, I think it's probably even prudent. Like to see, uh, if, if I'm going to trust someone, are they trustworthy? And, and here we have to be very honest about both sides of, of the argument, right? So, I mean, is God trustworthy? And you might say, well, look, I mean, there, there's a lot of suffering in the world, and there's a lot of pain in the world, there's a lot of illness, and I might have lost uh, mother, father, brother, sister, child. So there, there, are, there are crosses here. So, so yes, we've, we've, got a, we've got an issue here to resolve. Is God good? Can God be good with all of this? So, yeah, but don't, stop, don't stop your reflection there. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Follow it through. Because if we stopped, then it would be typically diabolical, actually diabolical, to get our, our reasoning to stop there. Because even when you're here now, when you're receiving Holy Communion, when you listen to the readings or at home listening to, to this on, on YouTube or on podcasts, like, we'll be thinking about the, the goodness of God, and I guarantee you, within five seconds, the enemy is going to intervene so quickly, so quickly to say, ah, yeah, well, it's nice that Father Patrick thinks that. But look at your life. You look at your life. Look at the pain in your life. God isn't good. He takes care of good people or foreign people or poor people. Or, but not you. Not you. You're on your own. It's just so typically diabolical. So typically And he, as I say, underline and highlight the fact that there's pain in your life, suffering in your life, loss in your life, loneliness in your life, failure, whatever it may be, all those kind of things. And then he'll stop the argument. Then, then he'll, he'll close it off there. See? So you've all these things. So now you don't need to love God. You don't need to trust him because he hasn't proven that he's lovable or trustworthy. QED, close the argument. We're done. 
And, and that's just that's so, so, so dangerous. Like this is, the, this is the mentality of the younger son. So you are allowed to reflect on your life, also on your crosses and sufferings, but finish it out. Keep, keep going. Keep going in your reflection. Even like go through these reflections with Our Lady at the foot of the cross, okay? So we're, 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 like, we're like there with St. John and Our Lady. And so we see, okay, I've got suffering in my heart and I've got loss and loneliness and pain and all of these kind of things. Okay, great. Now finish it out. Keep going. Keep going. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. I mean, is this the behavior of a God who doesn't care? Is this the behavior of a God who will leave you on your own in your suffering? Is this the behavior of a God who doesn't have any interest in you whatsoever? Is that him? I mean, we look at that cross and how on earth can we think that he doesn't care? How on earth can we think that he's distant or disinterested? We have, there are crosses in our lives and I just wish it was another way, but it isn't. So we kind of have to suck it up and get on with it. That's life. And by the way, like suffering and difficulties and crosses, they'll come the way of Hindus and Muslims and atheists as well. So it's not just us. Everyone. Life is a hard teacher. And we can run from that or we can try and hide from it, but like it's going to catch up with us. So the crosses are going to come our way. So when, we, when, when in that moment of the cross or of darkness, when the tempter, and I say when because it will happen, when the tempter says to you, see, you're suffering, therefore God isn't good, Run to the cross. Run to the cross. Stand beside Our Lady and gaze up on Jesus and ask yourself the question. Be really honest with yourself. Can it be true? Is it true then that God has forgotten me? Is it? Is it true that he can't be trusted? Is it true? Is it true that he doesn't care? All these things that you're thinking, that you're being tempted to think, look at the cross and ask yourself those, just ask yourself those questions, but in the presence of Jesus. Beside Our Lady, is it true? Because all of us are going to, all of us have gone, all of us are going through this, and it's it's a very very dangerous place to be. Because suffering can and should draw us closer to the Lord, like in Teresa's testimony during the week, you know, like losing a little sister at four weeks. I mean, that's 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 devastating, and it can do one of two things: it can absolutely drive you from God. Why would He allow this? What did we do to deserve this? Or, as happened in her case, while those questions are still there, the whole family unites and gathers around and cries together and prays together and long kind of hugs that don't have a don't have a solution. You know, there is no kind of there is no kind of answer. But there is healing. So what do we do? What do I do? Do I, do I know the heart of the Father at all? Am I like an ungrateful child? Am I making constantly demands of what God has to do in my life? And when that doesn't happen, I just want to walk away? Or am I coming to know the heart of my Father? The Father who waits for me and sees me when I'm a long way off and comes running for me and embraces me and doesn't wait for me to make my rehearsed apology but treats me like royalty though I don't deserve it at all. Do I know the heart of the Father at all? Do I know his love? In this Lenten season 
Let us pray that we come to know the heart of the Father more deeply. Let us pray that Jesus will reveal him to us, that we will know that we are loved, that we're held in existence, that we will know that we're forgiven, that we will know that we're precious in his sight, that we will know that he delights in us every single day, that we will come to know the heart of the Father as he knows our hearts. Amen.